0: From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear
1: Radio. Russia has invaded Ukraine and citizens are taking up arms to fight. What we're witnessing is a brutal, real-time demonstration of why gun ownership is at the core of a free people. And it should be obvious to everyone why it's not a privilege to be doled out by government, but a basic human right. Even the media is gushing over ordinary Ukrainian citizens carrying guns as if they've finally discovered the meaning of keep-and-bear arms after spending decades spitting in the face of American gun owners. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep-and-Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Morse, author of the Slow Facts blog, and co-host of the Polite Society podcast. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast.
0: It's a pleasure to be back with you, Dean. Thank you.
1: Rob, uh, what I want to talk to you about today is the subject everyone's talking about, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and specifically how the citizens are playing a part in this battle. But before we get started, something happened yesterday as we're recording this. Something big in Ohio. I'm wondering if you heard about it. Ohio legislators just sent a constitutional carry bill to the governor. And we are now, again, as we're recording this, I don't know when people are listening to this podcast, but as we're sitting here today, the governor is waiting to get this bill on his desk. And we are one pin stroke away from having constitutional carry in Ohio.
0: Well, last night was Mardi Gras down here, Dean. The the remnants of it, it's been going on for a week. Um and I th- told everybody, "No, no, it's not Mardi Gras. This is our celebration for you guys passing constitutional carry." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I guess we should come down there.
0: Yeah, and celebrate. We do know how to celebrate down here.
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely. We're we're going to have to celebrate up here. I, you know, I don't want to jinx this whole thing. I don't want to start doing a dance yet because exactly. we still have one more one more step to go, but all the signs point to the governor signing this bill. I, I feel like I need to have one of those eight balls. And I'm wondering right. if, <laughs> if somewhere is like, like... What's my future? Right. This is like, you know, uh, signs say governor will sign the bill. Uh, again, this is this is really exciting because we've been fighting for this for so long. We've been doing so much work on it. And it's, it finally just happened yesterday. And, it, and the way it happened was stunning because not only did the House... Passed the bill. About an hour later, the same bill went over to the Senate. They concurred same day. Right. And well, and this that, is March, Rob. Gun bills generally go to lame duck. I mean, it's like they always take right. a backseat to everything else. Here we are, as again as we're recording this in March of 2022, and a gun bill is going to the governor to sign. this is remarkable.
0: Well, and the way you described it. It just happened that they vote on it, and you and I know better. This is the result of a lot of phone calls, a lot of conversations, a lot of constituent calls to legislators' offices, and then, oh, they just voted for it. So, congratulations.
1: Well, and it's a lot more than that because you know we've been we've been doing things like uh, pulling research, answering questions on the phone. We've, we've been I mean I thought we were going to have to rent a room down at the state house. Really, that we were going to have to pay rent. We spent so much time down there (laughs) because this is a big bill, and and it really changes things. Frankly, I mean, I'm a a law and order guy. I support the police, but the FOP fought us every step of the way, and I knew two years ago that was going to be the biggest hurdle to jump over the, the, uh, the police unions, not the police themselves. The police unions fought us hard on this, and they did not want this bill. And so, Republicans are very vulnerable when it comes to the police, you know, because they, they want to be seen as supporting the police, and then they do. But the unions really, really work this harder than people understand.
0: Isn't that fascinating? The unions were at, took a diametrically opposed position compared to their members. Because you and I know, uh, in fact, now, my experience was, when I was considering a firearm, I knew a guy who was a cop. He said, here, we're going to go get some instruction. Come with us. And they were the, the reason I carry today is because of their encouragement, really because of the model they set for me. And yet here their union is saying, no, you know, the average citizen shouldn't have a gun. Isn't that interesting though? You and I often have to have a permit to buy a handgun. That means theoretically all handgun owners are already vetted there are in air quotes here no illegal gun owners that have handguns but we want you to have another bite at the apple go through another permit process well which which one of those did you think failed was it was it the second process that wasn't good enough or was it the first one and then you realize that the criminals don't obey the law anyway
1: yeah and and we argued that and there was a lot of bad information out there from the uh, gun control organizations about how, you know, this is going to allow right. criminals to carry guns and crime is going to soar and all of this. And and we were pointing out again and again and again, look, guys, 21 other states have some form of constitutional carry, permitless carry, whatever you want to call it, and we didn't see blood in the streets there, right? And and we were, we were presenting studies. We had this one study from... The American College of Surgeons, they, they studied this for 30 years. They found zero connection between these kind of laws and crime. And they, and they basically said in the study, if you're wanting to work on crime, you need to look somewhere else other than passing laws. They came right out and said it. And so there's, there's just no proof that this is going to lead to more crime. It's not dangerous for the police or anything else. So it's really disappointing. Frankly, the FOP— Has opposed every bill, every bill we've ever supported.
0: Yeah. Well, that, I think those are the political leanings of the management of the police union. Now, Dean, I want to correct you or, or modify what you said slightly. We have seen crime go down in cities that were in states that passed constitutional carry. Dallas is one prominent example, Nashville being the other, but... The cause wasn't, uh, I'd I'd like to claim that it was constitutional carry. It wasn't. It was a change in police procedure because the police in both cases said, you know what? The average guy on the street isn't the problem. We have a handful of bad actors. They They act in their neighborhood. So they flooded the neighborhoods, a zone defense, and they put guys on individual criminal actors said, hi, your job's to follow him today, because he's going to commit a crime. Crime went down.
1: Yeah, And, and one of the things I think that led to constitutional carry in Ohio was that Republicans finally stood up and took notice. In 2020, when we were seeing all those riots, when we were seeing cities not enforcing the laws, not protecting citizens, and basically saying, well, yeah, they're burning the town down, but that's okay. You know, they're just expressing themselves. And people were going like, "What? What are you talking about?" Uh, a mostly it was, peaceful riot, yeah. right? It just—it was insane. And ordinary people looked at that and they said, "You know what? I finally get the whole gun thing. I want to go out and get a gun." I had, I had little old ladies in my neighborhood coming up to me and saying, "You know, like looking around, like they were doing something wrong, you know," and, and whispering. Uh, you know, my, my friends and I are thinking about getting firearms. You know, what, how do we do that? You know, where do we go? What kind of classes should we take and all this kind of stuff? And, and I help them out. You know, this, this is not political. It's just people right. seeing what they need to do and doing it because the government is not doing their job. So I think here in Ohio, I think it just finally, you know, the light bulb finally went off. Not over their heads? It was like, oh, I get it. Now I see why you've been pushing for this.
0: What's um, You and I have a bunch of mutual friends in uh, women from 50 states who go to the Congress, to D.C., and lobby. And their, their motto is education, not legislation. And there it was in front of you, Dean, your neighbors who suddenly went, yeah. You know, the second amendment that might apply to me, Dean, what do I do? How do I become educated? And I bet I'll, I'll make a bet with you. We didn't talk about this ahead of time, right after they've asked where they could buy, didn't they ask, where can they get training?
1: Oh yeah. That, that was the whole point is they, because the, what they wanted was a, was a carry license. And so, you know, they, they wanted to, they, because the, the question was, how do we carry properly? how do we do this safely? How do, how do we not violate the law? And I, and I, and you know, that's, that was, that's not me spinning it. That's how they approached me about it. And it was some ladies who, you know, go out to lunch and they do things together and they wanted to go take a concealed handgun class together, get the training and move on. And, you know, so they could be safe when they're carrying firearms.
0: There are neighbors that's, They really do owe you uh, a a thank you because their rights were protected because you were diligent for years, if not decades.
1: So, Rob, we're really excited about this. We're hoping that that bill gets uh, signed into law and it could happen literally at any time. But I want to change the topic now and get to what we were really going to talk about, which is this Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ah. And... uh, Wow. I mean, I, I didn't even know how to begin here. You know, we're watching this on TV because everything is videotaped now, right? I mean, everyone has their phone, their cameras everywhere. We're watching a major power invade a sovereign country. And what is really remarkable about this, I mean, that happens all the time, but we're getting to see it. And we're getting to see that not only are the military fighting the Russian army, but citizens— I mean, men and women, just ordinary people, are fighting as well. And I'm just stunned at at how we're seeing this play out on TV.
0: And let's put it in, in, in context. The population of Ukraine is 40 million. So we have to add together some pretty large U.S. states to reach 40 million. That's a significant population. And you're right. We're seeing it play out on video, We're seeing that you can send in special forces and blow up police stations. Of course, criminals then take advantage of that. But all of a sudden, the citizens are, again, the first responders to stop the criminal element during times of chaos. They certainly, uh, judging from some of the photos, they're pretty effective against troops as well. I mean, you can stay in your armored vehicle for a while, but everybody knows eventually you got to come out.
1: Yeah, and and what's going on, uh, and, and what we saw right before Russia invaded, the Ukrainian parliament approved a law giving citizens permission to carry firearms and act in self-defense. So the laws, you know, are a little bit restrictive there, but they did this really quick turnaround. And according to reports, the Ukrainians just rushed to the gun stores. There are these long lines, buying guns and ammo— and they were buying AR-15s, AR-10s, all of which sold out. And then the government started actually handing out firearms as well. One reporter I saw said something along the lines of, yeah, they're handing out guns like candy. And I, I've seen video of that where trucks would back up with firearms and people were walking up and they were taking rifles. And they're, they're setting up uh, firearms classes And they're learning how to do maneuvers. I mean, this is like right out of Red Dawn. You remember that movie?
0: I do. Um, So odd is some of our our partisan media should have felt a twinge of hypocrisy. For example, the New York Times was speaking very approvingly of when they carried those pictures. Yes, here they are defending their country. And I'm going, did you ignore the, the... burning and, and looting and riots in Portland that went on for a year, and, and yet you condemned individuals in Portland or Seattle who wanted to protect themselves and their businesses. So, the New York Times and similar uh, journalists
1: have to feel a prick of conscience. Well, I mean, do you think that they are, though? I mean, I mean I've seen the same thing, Rob. I mean, the media is gushing over this. I, I've i seen, you know, these video montages with the, uh, you know, rousing music in the background, and showing men and women with sniper rifles, with ARs, with shotguns, and they're, they're treating them like heroes. They are heroes. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I think the Ukrainian people are absolutely amazing in how they're stepping up. I saw on one report a married couple. They had just gotten married. They were you know, a young man and a young woman, both standing there, and it's like their honeymoon was getting armed, getting trained, and fighting Russians. It, it was really amazing. Now, you know, the media, they're acting like they're heroes after they've spent decades spitting in our faces because, yes. you know, we want the same kind of right. We want to be able to protect ourselves here in the United States, and they're just not making that connection.
0: There you go. They're not And Dean, thank you. It's up to you and Buckeye Firearms and the small part that I can play— to help our listeners make that connection that the media won't. Um, what I liked about that young couple, yes, I did see the article. They were going to get married later, and they said, "Life's too uncertain. We're going to get married now, and we're gonna. We want our life together. We want to fight together. We're in this together." That was beautiful.
1: Yeah, what a honeymoon, right? I mean, it was like. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, like here in the States, you know, you'd go to Niagara Falls or you'd, you know, go to Florida, you'd go to someplace in the Caribbean or whatever, and they, they take up arms and they're fighting Russians. I mean, uh, that's, <laughs> that's amazing.
0: <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about how this was supposed to go. Typically, this was, Ukraine was supposed to fall the way the other former Soviet client states fell. So, Putin would send in special forces followed by some military. They'd arrest or murder the political leaders of the country. And then everybody was supposed to roll over and say, okay, these are our new leaders. And this didn't go according to plan. The leaders, to, when they, when Biden called and said, I can get you out of the country, the president of Ukraine said, I don't want to ride. I want ammo. If you want to help me, give me more. By the way, and I have to find, what, which ammunition supplier was it? Ammo Inc. offered to donate a million rounds of ammunition to the armed forces and citizens of Ukraine. This is at a time when any ammunition company in the United States can sell every single round they make and then
1: some. Yeah, that's that's really amazing. And and really, they, uh, they need the firearms because, you know, they've handed them out, they've sold out. Right. And they're expensive anyway. You know, the the average Ukrainian, at least according to one source, makes about the, the equivalent of four hundred dollars a month, and so to buy even a cheaper AR or an AK, that's about a month's salary for right. them, or, or maybe two months' salary. If it were, if you you know factored in what a, the kind of pain it would cause us to buy something in an equivalent situation, so it's really expensive. For them to get that, and, and they're having ammo shortages over there right now, obviously. So, you know, I people are trying to step up, trying to help, and um, they, they really need it. In
0: Germany, there were a lot of Turkish expatriates. In Poland, almost every truck driver was a Ukrainian, and a lot of them are going, um, boss, I'm taking my truck back to Ukraine, put uh, water and ammunition and rifles in the truck I'm headed. I'm headed east, so that Polish border is seeing a large number of Ukrainian expats, probably also some Russian spies, move uh, into Ukraine to join the fight.
1: Yeah, I've, I've seen those stories too. People returning, going back, right, uh, or even people you know joining their because they have militias over there. Uh, they they have their um, their own armed forces, and people are signing up. I mean, it it sort of reminds you about our history when we had an invasion problem and we had patriots signing up and defending the country. And here they're doing it against a force that, I mean, let's make no mistake, the Russians vastly overpower Ukrainians when it comes to the tanks, the, the guns, the missiles, and everything else. And they have these what they call vacuum bombs. And they've been they've been basically outlawed. You're not supposed to even use those in war. So the Russians are coming in with some really nasty stuff, and uh, the Ukrainians are fighting them. Citizens are fighting. Right. And not only is the media being hypocritical about this, have you heard anything from gun control advocates? Have you heard anything from Bloomberg's Everytown? Have Interesting. You heard, have you heard anything from moms? No. From uh-huh. Giffords, from Brady. Uh-huh. You know, they're still out there squawking about ghost guns and boyfriend loopholes and all of this. They're not talking about, hey, did you see Ukraine when citizens are actually, you know, exercising their rights to self-defense, to defend their home, to defend their country. No, they're they're still doing their shtick here.
0: Well, isn't it and isn't it amazing that suddenly their cry, you know, the Ukrainians would be safer if they just turned them all in. And everybody's going, are you on drugs? So yeah, no, they've had to mute themselves. Um, I did want to uh, extend the story slightly there, Dean. Ukraine was the third nuclear power in the world when the Soviet Union fell. Um, The US and Britain, this was during the Obama administration said, don't worry, we'll put you under our nuclear umbrella to stop invasion. And in hindsight, they should have said, no, it's okay. We'll take care of the nuclear weapons ourselves. We'll keep some, we'll destroy most. And because the words of the United States and the words of Great Britain weren't worth the paper they're printed on.
1: Right. They disarmed. They were encouraged to disarm and they disarmed. And when you do that, you make yourself helpless. Right. So yes, I mean, we're talking about nuclear weapons, but just the general concept is still the same. When you make yourself weak, someone will take advantage. And so Ukraine made themselves weak, and someone is taking advantage.
0: Um, that disarmament did include uh, many heavy of the heavier conventional weapons as well.
1: So, Rob, you know, it makes me sit here and think about the meaning of the Second Amendment. Uh, it's too right. bad that they don't have anything like the Second Amendment in Ukraine, but we do have it here. And the meaning of it has always been disputed. And, and what I think that we're watching— on TV in real time, is a brutal demonstration of why gun ownership is at the core of a free people. And it ought to be obvious to everyone why this is not a privilege. It's a basic human right to be able to defend yourself. Now, right now, that means firearms. I've, I've told people, you know, I used to watch Star Trek. And you remember they had the phasers and you could set them on stun and you right. pull the trigger. And like a whole room full of people just fall down unconscious. If if phasers were real, I would carry a phaser. Right. Because wouldn't that be cool? You wouldn't have to kill right. anybody. You could just phase everybody. But guess what? That doesn't exist. So what we have right now for self-defense is, is firearms. And it's not just a love of guns. It's that that currently is the best, most efficient way to defend yourself when you are in danger, and that is a basic human right. Whether it's a gun, a phaser, whatever it might be, basic human right.
0: When they invent the gun that suddenly wraps the bad guy up in a in a one foot thick Nerf suit, so he's sitting there flaming around <laughs> like a little kitten wrapped in toilet paper, we'll all get one. We're not there yet.
1: Yeah, bubble wraps him.
0: Yeah. There we go. The bubble And, then, and then
1: you can go up and taunt them, and then and, and, and pop and the pop bubbles them one at a time, and just right? like uh, yeah, like water torture.
0: So the media has some catching up to do. What they won't do is what you're doing here: is frame the discussion. Look, the reason Ukraine is vulnerable is because they disarmed their state. And uh, I like what the politicians were forced to do. I wish they'd done it out of a respect for human rights long ago. Um, This, in part, is the attitude of the Swiss. The joke was uh, a military general was uh, looking at the Swiss troops and goes, ah, we can roll over you guys in no time. He goes, yes, but every citizen is armed. Yeah, but we still outnumber you five to one. He goes, each one have five rounds. They'll come out, shoot five times, and then they'll go home with their firearms. So to me, that's the attitude I respect. I hope that attitude becomes more prevalent and more widely respected.
1: Well, you know, if we're thinking about what the meaning of the Second Amendment is, uh, you know, we're watching this in Ukraine. We have these debates here in the United States. One of the people who said it best, I think, and this comes from a court case that most people probably have never heard of or have forgotten about. The judge's name was Alex Kaczynski. This Ah, was about about 20 years ago. And there was a, a case... I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, and it was something like Sil- Silvera versus Lockyer, and it was a California case. California was banning certain semi-auto firearms, you know, ARs and whatever, and that, that was challenged. And the court came out and basically said, you don't have an individual right to own firearms. It's a collective right. It's connected to the state militia. You know, we've, we've heard that for a long time. Right. So this was the Ninth Circuit. They, they refused to hear the case— and they issued uh, dissenting opinions instead. And so Alex Kaczynski came out and made probably the best statement about the meaning of the Second Amendment that I've ever heard. What he said was, the Second Amendment is a doomsday provision, one designed for those exceptionally rare circumstances where all other rights have failed, where the government refuses to stand for re-election and silences those who protest, where courts have lost the courage to oppose or can find no one to enforce their decrees. However improbable these contingencies may seem today, facing them unprepared is a mistake a free people get to make only once. So what Kaczynski was saying is that the Second Amendment is not there for just everyday stuff. It's there for that day in the future when the crap hits the fan, where the things go wrong that that you can't deal with in any other way. And I would include in this, you know, when we're thinking about terrorism, we're thinking about possible invasion like we're seeing in Ukraine, natural disasters like we saw with Katrina, home invasions, violent crime, riots like we saw in 2020, For that day, that bad day that happens when you've got to rely on yourself to defend yourself, your family, your street, your neighborhood. And once you take away the firearms, once you take away the right to defend yourself, then it's gone and it's gone forever.
0: We saw it in Venezuela as well, where one of the first things the socialist government did was tell all the l- lawful people to turn in their firearms. It's, a, it's an old refrain. It's been played over and over again. What, what I had here in my own personal experience, we went through two hurricanes and a flood last year. The freeze was just for bonus points. A lot of people suddenly carried openly because the police were not available. The police were parked where they needed to be guarding food distribution places, just keeping order as traffic went through and MREs were handed out. And then some of them were parked in front of firearms stores, sporting goods stores to make sure they were not looted. We are the first responders, Dean. I knew a few people who were forced out of their homes, parts of the roof missing, and they would be looted. If there were lights on, if there were generators running, there was occasional looting more likely the looter was shot that was a bad career choice. We and, and we saw people open carrying that was a comfort to recognize that violence
1: couldn't run rampant. yeah I mean that's uh, that's the kind of thing that we always argue that you can more or less trust your neighbors you can trust citizens. I think that's really the dividing line when we have these debates. you listen to the the gun grabbers when they testify, And they're basically coming right out and saying you can't trust people. If you have a gun, you're just one trigger pull away from becoming a murderer. That's what they think of gun owners. And I think it's a mental issue with them that they're afraid of guns or they've had some sort of trauma. I don't mean to trivialize it, but you listen to to some of the things that they will say, the people who want gun control, and they just don't trust other people. And I think in general and I, I am vastly gener, uh, generalizing here, conservatives tend to trust their neighbors more. They, they trust them with firearms. in, in the, I grew up in the country, Rob. Everybody had guns. It was not political. Everybody had guns. and They were just hanging up in the garage. My, my grandfather had them under the steps. And I just knew I don't touch the good Remington shotgun, but I can, you know, mess around with the BB gun you know, maybe when I got a little older, I could mess around with the twenty-two rifle. Exactly, but it, but it wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. Everyone had guns. You could, you know, and this was the, these were the days when you didn't lock your doors or anything else. You could trust your neighbors. They weren't going to to be a danger to you. But but we're in an, an age now where people don't don't trust each other. So it's it's the it's the the attitudes that have changed.
0: Yes and no. I remember donating a eight window AC unit because a, a f- power was out. You had the electrical energy you could make. They had a generator. I had a spare unit. And then you say, by the way, I've got a spare handgun. Do you need that too? No, I'm okay in that department. Okay, great. You're set.
1: This is just, it, this is remarkable. I, I just, um, when I'm watching, this is the kind of thing that I've just never seen on TV. When I've seen wars, we've seen this before. We've not seen citizens being applauded for owning firearms. We've not watched them fight on TV. We've there. There's sort of. I think it's an, it's a moment of potential education. But Rob, I've, I I have to be honest with you. I don't think the media is going to get it. I I definitely think that the the uh, gun control advocates are not going to get it. And you and I are seeing it. I think some ordinary people will be swayed. The people who are not looking at this politically, but those who cry for gun control, I don't think the message is really going to get through to them. Dean,
0: fortunately, we don't need to convince them. We need to convince the massive middle. And I think the reason the media covered this and covered it the way they did is they didn't have a choice. That message was coming out. It was coming out on social media platforms. It was coming out on BitChute. It was coming out to many unregulatable media streams. And they finally, the media could either follow along or be left behind.
1: Rob, let's talk just very briefly about Ukrainian gun laws because I got really curious about this and I started looking cool. them up. Yeah. And it's kind of a mixed bag, but yeah. but it's really, really interesting. One of the things I did not know, now Ukraine, I know that previous to this invasion, a lot of people could probably never point to Ukraine on a map. Everybody knows where it is now. So I, I looked this up and interestingly, Ukraine, most people don't think about it being in Europe, but it's a European country. And it's the only country in Europe where firearms are not regulated by statute. In other words, they don't have any gun laws. What they have is a Ministry of Internal Affairs, so basically a department of the government that has regulations about firearms. So the guns are regulated, and by U.S. standards, they're regulated pretty heavily. But there aren't any laws or statutes on the books about them. Now, from what I gathered, handguns, are pretty much illegal except for target shooting. Uh, you can get uh, carry permits, although it's pretty difficult to do. You basically, have, it's May issue. You have to right. know somebody. Uh, so, you know, the elites, the rich people, politicians, whatever can get them. Ordinary people probably cannot. You do need a license to own a f- firearm. So it's sort of like in, in New York or in New Jersey. So you can get a license. And the age requirements are kind of interesting. You have to be 25 years of age for a rifle, 21 for a smoothbore weapon, in other words, shotgun, right. or 18 for what they call cold or pneumatic weapons, so air guns or, you know, BB, yeah. BB guns, that that sort of thing.
0: Pellet guns, right.
1: So you can't have a criminal record. You can't have a history of domestic violence. Uh, no mental illness. You have to have a good reason. So again, this is sounding like New York. You have to state what your reason is for owning the gun, target shooting, hunting, collection, whatever. Once you get the license, there are also state safe storage laws. You have to have a safe. The safe have to, has to be installed correctly, and you have to keep your guns in the safe. So again, by American standards, we're listening to that. We're thinking, wow, that's that's pretty bad. But what? but But here's the kicker, Rob. Yeah. Rifles. This is really interesting. In the United States, what's the one thing that gun control advocates want to ban, like more than anything else? More than anything.
0: The assault weapon. The The scary black rifle. Evil
1: black rifles. Well, guess what? In Ukraine, citizens are permitted to own semi-automatic rifles and shotguns. You have to keep them stored properly. But they have no problem with ARs. They have no problem right. with AKs. Right. There are no magazine restrictions whatsoever, no caliber restrictions. If you have a fifty caliber, that's fine. Suppressors, no problem. So when it comes to modern sporting rifles, what we generally refer to as ARs, AKs, and all of that, Ukraines have more freedom right now than California, New York, Massachusetts, and some other states. Isn't that interesting?
0: Well, and, and when you say good reason, your good reason to own a firearm in California basically boils down to, have you donated to my political uh, re-election committee? For them, it's, yeah, I want to go target shooting. Where do you want to do it? Oh, my backyard, my buddy's got a, a field, we go there. Good enough. It's the the average person can meet the good reason requirement in Ukraine. New York, California, probably not.
1: The one problem that they have, though, with uh, the ARs, especially, not so much AKs because they're less expensive, but the average income, according to one source I looked at, was about $400 a month, the equivalent of $400 a month in American dollars. So you're you're looking at a rifle that might be $400, $500, or maybe $1,000. You know, this could be the equivalent. I just did some rough numbers. This is really hard math to figure out, you know trying to compare one country to another. But he'd be like, well, I want an AR, and it's going to cost me $5,000 or more. That's right. a big price. And so that's why more Ukrainians don't have rifles over there. But, you know, when they announced this law change, the, the gun stores were just mobbed. I mean, people were lined up down the street buying out every single gun they had.
0: And I predict that there will be a lot of firearms merchants— Taking truckloads of AKs up to the western the the border of Ukraine and Poland, and the price of firearms will fall will be driven up by need, but will be depressed by the surge of the legal and illegal market providing that need.
1: I just think it's interesting that the one gun that they need the most, rifles, is the is the one gun that Ukraine seems to be okay with more than anything else. Right, and my my hope is, and and I really mean this. I hope that Ukraine is going to learn the lesson. I hope that they're going to be successful in finally, at some point, this could be a long slog, but finally having the Russians leave. And I hope the Ukrainians are going to look at this and say, you know what? There's a lesson to be learned here. Let's maybe take a look at the gun regulations. And let's, let's maybe make it easier for citizens to own guns because you know what? This is a big, nasty world, and we've just had a real-world demonstration of what happens when people are disarmed. That's why we have the Second Amendment in the United States because the founding fathers, when they were designing the Second Amendment, when they were thinking about those constitutional rights, this was really fresh in their mind. And, and they wanted citizens here— When things go wrong, they wanted citizens everywhere to have the ability to own firearms.
0: Dean, let's underscore why. Part of it was, oh, they could be part of a military force. The more political part of it was, if there were an armed citizenry, then politicians had to talk. They couldn't do what Putin did and send in the army because that would turn into a quagmire the beauty of an armed citizenry is our politicians have to talk to us. They can't steamroller us. They can't issue decrees and, and enforce compliance at the point of, a, of their gun.
1: And it's symbolic as well because it's really about where does the power lie in a society? Is all the power with the government, you know, real and symbolic? Or is the power with citizens? And when I look at politicians, when I at our legislators, and I think, well, what? How do they view citizens? I use their approach to firearms as one of the big gauges on how they think about the public. If they don't trust the public, if basically their their idea is we can't trust ordinary people to have that much power, that tells me something important about them. Or if they say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine with people being armed. I'm fine with, with ordinary people having power. Because firearms are real power. Now, I know this sounds conspiratorial. It sort of sounds like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Take up arms against the government? No, except maybe if, you know, if you're in a situation where the government is taking up arms against you or there's a government on the outside that's taking up arms against you, what do you want? Do you want to be helpless? At that very moment, because you give up these rights, like I said, you never give them. You never get them back.
0: Dean, let me expand that because I've had some real life experience here. I've been places where there is no government. All it takes is fifteen inches of rain. All it takes is one hundred and fifty miles an hour worth of wind, and suddenly, your neighbors and you are the law. And my neighbors were wonderful. As soon as they could, as soon as they cleaned. Gutted their homes. What do you need? Who else needs help? My church is putting together a care mission to other uh, people in need. What can you contribute? So I have a very high opinion of my neighbors because I've seen how they've behaved when no one is watching.
1: Rob, this is a little off topic, but this is something I've thought about. You know, I know a lot of sort of quote unquote survivalists, and the, the attitude. Very often is, you know, I want to have a cabin in the woods and be completely on my own and get away from other people and so on. You know what? In survival situations, yes, you want to have toilet paper, you want to have food, you want to have water, you want to have firearms, you want to have all of that. You know what else you want to have? You want to have neighbors. You want to have friends. You want to have other people you can depend on. One of the key factors to survival is other people. So if there are people out there listening to this, and you're sort of in that survivalist mindset or even if you're just somebody who thinks you know what I'm going to get a month's worth of mountain house and stick it in the closet and kind of be ready in case something happens the power goes out or whatever think about your neighbors too you really need to have good relationships with your neighbors because when things really go bad they are going to be the best resource you have
0: absolutely 100% that's that's been my experience says you're 100% correct Dean.
1: So, Rob, you know, we come back to this idea about the Second Amendment being a doomsday provision. Again, I really hope that people get the lesson. This is always the way that I've thought about the Second Amendment, that it was there for that dark day in the future that we can't predict the moment when we're going to need to have those firearms uh, when we need them, and and why you can't take them away and then suddenly have them at the last minute. I, I hate to be critical of Ukraine, but they did wait till the last minute to start handing out those guns. Right. And and if they had a Second Amendment, and if they had thought about this a little more carefully and prepared and and people widely owned firearms already, they would have been they would have been prepared more than they were when Russia actually invaded.
0: Let's let's expand that just a little. You are there as a first responder until the government as a second responder can get to you dean that's true in every c- criminal assault i'm not out to capture the criminal i'm out to defend myself my family my neighbors defend the innocent until okay here comes the police They've, they're responding to the 911 call i'm the first responder and then the government will fill in that's true in every context
1: yeah you're a power multiplier
0: yeah there we go
1: right and, yeah. and whether it's uh, self-defense or uh, medical assistance, you know, I, I carry a little uh, medical bag. I've got some training. I carry a medical bag in my car. It's got a tourniquet. It has bandages. It has all kinds of, you know, even stuff for bee stings or whatever because I know that I might be driving down the street. There's a terrible car accident, and I might be the first responder. There are a lot of ways to be a first responder. If you're of the mindset that you, that you're a responsible adult and that you need to respond to situations quickly and efficiently. It's not just guns, it's it's a lot of stuff. It could be medicine. It could be just helping somebody change a tire. You you never know what it's gonna be. I think it leads you to be closer to other people and to think about, you know, your role in society. It's not the way that a lot of gun control advocates see gun guys as just, you know, fuds out in the woods, you know, trying to shoot that wascally wabbit. You know that this is this is more about how we relate to each other, and I, I just don't think that they get how firearms plays into that. That they're just, they're just, they're not uh, connecting the dots the way you and I are, Rob.
0: Dean, the people I've seen who out prep the preppers are a bunch of our vets who have come home recently from live combat overseas, and they go, you know, I've seen what happens when vehicles get flipped over. They have a they have a medical kit that puts mine to shame, and they know how to use it. They don't think anything of using it. I've been on uh, outings with them, and I go and if anything bad happens, I point my finger at them and say, "Start with them because they know trauma care and have a, a proficiency in it that exceeds mine." Bless them.
1: Rob, just to wrap up here, what do you think is going to happen in Ukraine? How is this going to play out?
0: It's in doubt. We know that the truth will be the first casualty. It will be a contest to see who can spin the truth to the greatest degree. Russia will do horrific things and blame it on the Ukrainians. What we now have, on the other hand, are social media. Everyone knows that the Russians are masters of propaganda. They've been lying so long that the people who have extensive dealings with the Russians expect to be lied to. They have no credibility. It's going to be fascinating, Dean. I don't know how to call it.
1: You know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I I do admittedly long for the days where there was no Facebook, no Twitter, and all of that because people just get so spun up, and there's all kinds of misinformation out there. But this is a situation where I love social media because Russia cannot control the message the way they used to because everybody with a cell phone— can now communicate with the entire world instantly and so there's no such thing as you know these these secrets of war everybody's watching it all the time 24 hours a day i think that's i think that's going to play a big part in this i'm i'm really hoping that the ukrainians can get through this that they can continue to be as uh, forceful and as resolved as they are now and i'm hoping that we're not going to see a gigantic body count
0: Dean, it was insightful some of the commentary that we've had coming out because there's very little difference between the Southern Russians and the Ukrainians. Many of the Ukrainians are effectively Russian refugees. They said, I've I've lived under the Soviet system. I wanted this better. That's not to say that Ukrainian politics is snow white. There, There are plenty of political machinations going on. But rather than that lack of Sharp distinction between the Soviets and the Ukrainians that uh, underscores an affiliation. So, what the Russians fear is that the citizens will look at Soviet soldiers and go, Why the heck are you doing this to us? You're just like us. We decided to come down here and now you're invading us. You should be ashamed. Um, as someone called that, the Ukrainian grandmother uh, bony finger uh, political maneuver. We'll find out how effective that is. It may be as effective as an AK.
1: I think there's more to it than that. My opinion is from just what from what I've seen on TV, I don't think the Russian soldiers, number one, knew what they were getting into. I've heard rumors that they thought that this was just some sort of military maneuver like a training mission. And wow. number number two, I don't think that their heart's in it. I think that they're kind of going through the motion because of exactly what you said. They're thinking Wow, I'm here killing my brothers and sisters. I don't think that their hearts are in it. I think they're doing what they're told. They're probably doing the minimum. I saw a video of a small squad going into a town. One of their soldiers was killed. They were with an armored vehicle. And the moment that one soldier was killed, they retreated. They backed up. They were backing out of town. Now, if they were really serious, they wouldn't have done that. They, were, they would have uh, moved forward. A lot of the Russians, I've heard, are not well-trained. I, and, and Rob, I don't think their heart's in it. I don't think they're motivated to do what Putin wants them to do.
0: That's, again, that leads me to fear that Putin will create massacres and blame it on the Ukrainians. Um, that's right up his alley. I mean, he was the head of their secret service, uh, uh, their CIA, We'll see how this plays out. And now there was one uh, bright link: you can take down a country's power grid pretty effectively. That would harm many of the Russians who are in the Ukraine as well as the native Ukrainians. Elon Musk uh, opened up the what is it? Space Link satellites, so that Ukrainians. I think it's. I think it's.
1: St- I think it's Starlink. Starlink. Yeah, I think uh, something like that.
0: So that they cannot be denied communications to the rest of the world. That's important.
1: Well, I'm, again, hoping that they um, are able to be successful in Ukraine. I'm hoping that they can resist the Russian invasion. I hope there's not a big body count. And we're going to watch this play out. I'm, I'm worried that it's going to go on for a long time. And uh, what's the rest of the world going to do? Are we going to get more involved in it? That has its own risks as well. A lot of unanswered questions here, Rob. I, I don't think that any of us really have the answers. But as you're saying with social media, we're going to see this play out and we're all going to watch it. So whatever happens, there are going to be lessons here for everybody. And the real question is, are we going to learn the lessons?
0: Isn't that fascinating? We used to think that guerrilla warfare was political subterfuge, was something that a terrorist group did. Who knew? Perhaps it is what a Sovereign people do to keep from being overwhelmed.
1: Well, Rob, this has been a really interesting conversation. We could probably go on for hours about this. I'm appreciative to have you here. You're very thoughtful. You you bring up a lot of good facts. And I've enjoyed this discussion. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for a long time. So, Rob, before we sign off, I just wanted to remind everybody that uh, you're putting out a lot of great information out there. Where can people find you?
0: Each week, I co-host... The Second Amendment Foundation's Polite Society podcast. I get to host the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast as well. My blog is at slowfax.wordpress.com. From there, my writing's picked up. It's carried at AmmoLand, where I write the weekly Armed Citizens column.
1: So again, thanks for being here, and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: My pleasure, Dean.
1: That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe, and please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.